warning, this podcast may contain strong language. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Film Fight, the film analysis podcast where we take two movies with a similar plot and see which one is better and why. I'm your host, Zach Bassetta. I'm here with my co-host, the really the OG, Amber <laughs> Collinger, director and artist. How are you? I'm good. Oh my gosh, you didn't step on my hand. You didn't stop. <laughs> or I didn't step, yeah. I thought it would be a good you know, opportunity for you to say hello back. Thank you. <laughs> Instead of me barreling through. <laughs> But it's good to see you. It's been a while. It's good to see you. It's been two weeks. <laughs> well, since we've recorded. That's true. That's true. Since we really laid down, you know, some audio tracks. Uh, speaking of, sound engineer and post-production guru, Steve Walter. On Hello. The from, from, Are you going to say on, on the ones and twos? Is that what you're going to say? No, on, on the line, like, oh, uh, you know, geez. old people say. Oh, my gosh. But you're oh. somewhere in tropical, I don't know. That's Yucatan. right. Mm-hmm. Yucatan Peninsula. And of course, marketing strategist extraordinaire, Jim Fastano. How are Hello. you, my friend? I'm good. My awesome. background is a prison. I think <laughs> your background looks better. Like it, it looks cool. Better than that bedroom you were using. <laughs> also cannot be denied. We were just talking about how strong the beard game is. How just. Yeah. yeah. Looking scary. good, Jim. Looking really good. Coming in nice and thick. Nice and yeah. Exactly. Like all oh, there's a good variance going on, like of shorts double with you, Zach. Mm-hmm. Steve, you're like mid. I don't know what you'd call that mid-level trend. Just, just the tip. Oh, <laughs> and Steve is somewhere between like lumberjack and mountain man. <laughs> well, I'm always inspired by, you know, Tom Selleck's mighty mustache. Oh, uh, goodness. I, I can never achieve it, but you know, I try. Now, speaking of time, we should talk about the movies that we are getting into today. So many good segues. Yeah. We're really getting, it's almost like professional. Like, we write yeah. these? <laughs> these movies were disgusting. What's, what, yeah, what, our, what's really our kind of a theme? Matchup. Our marquee matchup this week is Three Men and a Baby versus Mr. Mom. Two 80s property. I guess we could call this uh, Men Being Mom Edition. Yeah. Right. Really good. Hey, is it? Is this what we're going to call the breakdown? So we're going to break down these two movies because if that's the case, then um, I got to show you something here. This is called uh, The Breakdown. Oh, yeah. Time to break it This kind of goes on. I don't know how to. I don't know how to end songs. So that's how it goes. That's the breakdown, ladies and gentlemen. Classic. I get you oh right in the mood. Talk about '80s comedies. Break it down. I don't know. I, I think it goes. Uh, we'll check it later. It might still be going. Who knows? And now we're out of time. So um, that was a great episode. that's our show, guys. We're- <laughs> Well, what should we start with, Amber? We're going to start with Three Men and a Baby. Three Men and a Baby, released in 1987. Surprise director here, Leonard Nimoy, who is best known for playing Dr. Spock on the Star Trek franchise. And mm-hmm. he's he's only directed a few things, some television, a couple of movies, mostly just Star Trek movies. However, 
this seems to be like one of the very, very few things that he has directed that is not in the Star Trek franchise. Pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it's such a weird, because I mean, like just, you would never guess that Leonard Nimoy had anything to do with, with this movie. So super weird. Um, I do have, I know about Mr. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> um, he has one small cameo in this where you can't, see, really? yeah, you can't see his face. It's just oh. his voice. He is one of the guys who opens the door in the apartment and he says, good evening and yes, ma'am. Interesting. Yeah, it's like a doorman or something off screen, but he snuck in there just like a little bit. And <laughs> Steve Gutenberg had a lot to say about this movie in particular. I think he wrote a memoir and was, <laughs> it was just all about sharing secrets and spilling secrets. But he said that the other two guys, which are, we're going to get into who's starring in this movie, but Ted Danson and Tom Selleck were so used to being the boss of the set in their own TV shows that they were just kind of running around full of ego and Leonard Nimoy had to put him in their place and tell him who was boss. That is really interesting. Yeah, because Steve Gutenberg never really had a TV show like those other two did. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I was looking at, I actually watched this movie today, uh, this afternoon, and Tom Selleck was 44. Wow. And, and Ted Danson was, I say, 42 when they shot this movie. And I always pictured them, and even when I watched it today, they seemed older than that, but that's younger than I am. Well, at the birthday party, they even say, are they in their late 30s or early 40s? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Tom Selleck was 46 in this movie, and he always kind of looked the same to me, but yeah. I was shocked. Like, I was like, I don't feel like I look that old, but now that I'm looking at myself on the beach in this Zoom call, maybe I do look that old. I think, what are you guys, crazy? Those guys look amazing. They look actually the same. They're benching and buttoning this whole situation. They yeah, that's true. Absolutely the same. I hope I look that good. I hope they look, yeah. I can, hope they look good right now that good. <laughs> <laughs> Selig's yeah. mustache is still better, but you're close. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're close second. Oh, I, I was that... interested to, to learn that this was a French film. First, that yeah. uh, one of the writers, technically the original writer, Colleen, and I hope I'm not butchering her name, Saru, she wrote and directed a French film called Three Men in a Cradle. Three and... Men in a Bassinet, apparently. I mean, it's the same thing, but I mean. <laughs> so those things are, those are so different. They're totally different. <laughs> I'm just going by what Google tells me, and it's it distinctly said there are two different words but was, it is interesting was, that it she directed that movie she wrote and directed the french film and she was set to direct the american film but then but, when she learned of the three leads she backed out she was wow. intimidated uh i guess so maybe she had a problem with all that bde in the room did you guys happen to watch the trailer for the original french film no no i did not yeah, it's interesting, like you can tell that like the story seems to pretty much be the same. I mean, like we'll get into it, but the only thing that was, it was, it was the tone that was, that, I don't know, you'd have to see it, but maybe it's just a French thing, but it did seem like it kind of like was more suited for the wacky story we'll get into. Hmm. Well, the other two writers, the people that ended up adapting Colleen's story were James Orr and Jim Krunchenk, Krunchenk? Krunchenk's. Krunchenk's. Oh, Harry sorry. Potter. So sorry, other Jim. It's it's Crookshanks. I just hate butchering people's name. But these two people are James and Jim are writing partners. They have written twelve movies together: Father of the Bride, Father of the Bride Two, Sister Act Two, Mr. Destiny, uh, Tough Guys, My Future Boyfriend. They a lot are of big nineties stuff. Yeah, they're oh. a writing team. Yeah. 
like it's fun like like a lot of those you mentioned like they're they don't seem to be like that well remembered today necessarily but like sister act and father of the bride were big yeah. in their time totally oh, yeah. still going still going sorry i just had to check I, I, my bad my bad my bad and for anyone out there who has not seen this movie <laughs> It stars Tom Selleck as Peter, Ted Danson as Jack, and Steve Gutenberg as Michael. Most people our age know Tom Selleck from Magnum P.I. He was yeah. Richard on Friends, and he's currently starring on Blue Bloods. Ted Danson, best known for playing Sam on Cheers. He found longevity on television in another sitcom called Becker, and then Michael on The Good Place. Steve Gutenberg, we were talking about, hey, what happened to him? Well, he's best known for playing Sergeant Mahoney in the Police Academy films, Short Circuit, and then more recently, Dr. Catman on The Goldberg. So that's what he's been doing. I love Steve Gutenberg. I don't know what his deal was, but he was, I, he I, I don't know. Be? Yeah, I mean, Short Circuit was hilarious. I love, wasn't he also in Cocoon? He was the young Did you scientist. That? I'm 100% sure it was him. Okay. <laughs> because there's the great scene where uh, he makes love with the alien and it shoots this like energy into him and it hits him and he's like, oh my God, if this is foreplay, I'm a dead man. I don't know why I always thought that was funny. Steve Gutenberg, where are you now? I miss you. Oh my and gosh. Police Academy was awesome. Those three main guys have so much charisma. I think they were kind of driving the whole thing because I'm not sure had what to. really was. <laughs> what? Something had to because that script yeah. wasn't. Oh, <laughs> we'll get into the script because I was I watched it today too, Steve, and I was like, I I didn't all remember all the plots, and I was like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about the one thing that kind of stood out to me from the very beginning. We talked about these guys being in their late 30s, early 40s, um, and their roommates. Yeah, and I mean, my notes. thirty to forty year olds are roommates, and they're like the professionals. It's but it's odd, right? In jobs that should be like high paying, like one's right. an architect, one's yeah. an actor, one right. writes the the most famous cartoon in America, apparently. Yeah. Well, they I are mean, living in a high rise swanky hotel in I don't know, was it New York? New York. Or it was yeah. New York. Yeah. Is yeah. it a I mean, pad? Yeah. Is yeah. that what it is? If if it was like three like poor people living together, that would actually make more sense in the context yeah. of hey, somebody dropped a baby off in front of my right. doorstep. Because if they were all like three actors that were yeah, if, yeah. If they were poor and they were living together, but it wouldn't be like that house was gigantic. I think it had a solarium in it. There was like a sauna. The way they set it up was they're like these Playboy guys, but really Tom Selleck only had his eyes on that one girl, really and truly, yeah. when it came down to it, and. Steve Gutenberg was always stuck in the friend zone, mm -hmm. and and Ted Danson was an actor. So I guess he, that party Ted that Danson they threw at the beginning be the most was, successful. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. That was a huge party. And why the hell did they have to paint their own mural inside their apartment? What was that well, about? It, that was Steve Gutenberg was the artist, so that he was, was just a cartoonist. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're in that, that every day. I really love how '80s movies are constructed. These mm -hmm. both. Three Men and a Baby and Mr. Mom start out with a musical montage to just kind of yeah. set the tone. The best. The I've best. never seen that like thick of a montage at the beginning of a film. Like that was a long. Three Men and a Baby went on way too long. I still have that song. It was the whole song. song. It was the whole song. It was the whole song. What, what was the song? song. It was so bad, bad boys. Oh, bad, like, bad, bad, bad. Like we bad get boys. it. We get it after a few bad. I still have the song stuck. Can you imagine <laughs> Leonard Nimoy picking that song? No, it's, no, it, it must be bad, bad boys. And what was with the fast forward through everything? It's like everything was like in, in like double yeah. size. 
the montages were like a little fast. All double speed. It's like, what is this? They had to film. They had to justify their film expense, so they got to use everything in fast motion. Do we want to summarize basically what the plot of this thing is? Oh well, IMDb. There. <laughs> which which plot? <laughs> oh my god! Whatever the official one. Shoot is, for the drug dealer. IMDb one. says three bachelors find themselves forced to take care of a baby left by one of the guy's girlfriends. It nowhere then factors in a whole drug Drugs. cartel, illegal kidnapping, bad guys. There were two movies that happened in this movie. Yeah. It was insane. Well, that's the thing. Like, like there was no movie without the confusion, without the drug thing. Like otherwise, there was really no story at all. It absolutely could have been the exact same story minus the whole drug scare. Yeah, well, if you take out the drug part and you concentrate just on the part with the guys taking care of the baby, it could have been a pretty good movie. Yeah, the I mean, first half was funny. Been, there could have been a lot of stuff that they, you could have focused on. That drug thing made zero sense. I'm like, why are they throwing this? I think it was just a drug. You put in some conflict because like, otherwise it would have been entertaining, but otherwise you're really just waiting for the mom to show up. If yeah, but not that like still would have been, that's enough conflict. If you have spent your right. entire movie building up a bond between right. a, a child and a parent. And I got then, a little emotional. Yeah, what is, what is the yeah. biggest thing that could happen? What is, the, what is the most terrible thing that you can do to these characters? The most terrible thing now is to remove this little baby from their life. That's high enough stakes. You didn't need to throw in like a fake. And, and it, you're not giving it does not make no sense. I just why would you? What's the why? Why do we have a drug thing in the middle of this nice like? Like <laughs> like in the the um the French trailer, it made a little more sense. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I just think that was thrown in there, and I'm like, and it was very it, it, an 80s thing to do. It's like, well, it's throwing a drug thing because yeah, it's, I think that it 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 had for some reason. They had to make these two deliveries. I'm doing air quotes, people at home. These two deliveries on the same day at the same time to throw in that sort of a mix-up. Like those drug dealers, in in all reality, would have come in and said, "Where's the package?" And when they brought out a baby, they would have been like, "What are you doing? We're not taking this baby. Like, give us what we came for." And oh, it's, this is what you came. And then it would have been worked out immediately. Like we came for drugs. Ian, and they're like, "You we, we didn't we, come for this baby." Dead. I see like, some ID, perhaps. Who am I, I giving yeah. this living child? Yeah, to? yeah. Yeah. Just gonna give this, and they're like, "Oh, we'll just put it in the trunk." Trunk. Oh, buddy, I like love the '80s. That even when the mom comes at the end, they're just like, "All right, you must be the mom." Go ahead. All yeah, right. Could have been some homeless person. Like, oh, I you must be the mom. dad. The police yeah. officer. They're lying to some police detective who's kind of a who's kind of on their side and kind of not on their side, hiding cocaine and diapers. <laughs> what is I know, that? It was, it was heroin. It was heroin. Oh, really? heroin. oh I'm sorry. I'm so dumb. dumb. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know my heroin from my cocaine. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Yeah, it looked more like kid thugs that were looking for the drugs as opposed to these sort of mobster type guys. I don't know. It just didn't really quite fit. It no. felt like the John Hughes bad guys from Home Alone somehow got into this place and were like, wait a minute, wrong kid? Oh. <laughs> were they supposed to be funny or was it supposed to be? Because it, it kind of screwed this line. It wasn't like, okay, be serious. Like, be serious. If it's going to be a gangster thing, then. But they were like, also like, oh, we're going to take the baby. It just, it yeah. was weird. It well, wasn't I, a funny movie. I have uh, to say that this was, was the highest grossing movie of 1987 in the United States. The highest grossing movie. Wow. Of that year. I'm uh, telling you, maybe it was the first live action Disney movie yeah, it's like, ever yeah, sure. grossed over $100 million. 
It's the path. I think you're right. Sorry, 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 sorry. What number are we on? Forty-five. Pampers, Pampers, we often talk about product placement in these movies, and Pampers paid $50,000 for their brand to be used in this movie. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, I love, that's one of the parts that made me laugh. If you're talking about, like, the, the parts that I guess worked, it was all the bits where it was bubbling dads trying to take care of this cute yeah. little baby. Like, yeah. that stuff worked, you know what that I mean? Was gold. Them putting the diaper on, and, 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 and uh, the one part when they immediately, when they pulled the diaper off, and they're both like, oh, my God, it that's how you react as a dad. Maybe as a mom as well. Like you're, it, it's that part all worked, and you could have probably stretched that out and run that joke into the ground a little more, and it still would have worked because it's they're funny. They yeah. can be funny. They're good actors. They could have why throw in all that other stuff that just didn't make sense. It, it, those kind of other scenarios you could put in there with the kids. I mean, there's a ton of yeah. Babies that, that go to the park. Go to yeah. you know thousand things you could do well here jim let me ask you this when max and ava were did you ever pick them up like this for long periods of time there must have been different child labor or movie laws back in the 80s because that poor little baby it was starting to distress me twins they were crying whoever it was in those little all those babies all of the babies were crying for so long and then steve gutenberg i don't know how uncomfortable that is for a little baby when you hold it up like that and he was holding up behind his arms and just hanging there for such long periods of time it alarmed me <laughs> and also i know there's certain amounts of time that you have you could only because that baby was young so there's only i mean it's like it's like 20 minutes a day it's yeah it's, it's a short amount of time so and there are twins but even so that baby's in the movie a lot so my guess is there wasn't the same laws maybe in 87 or with kids i'm, I'm assuming because that baby was definitely those babies were definitely used more than 20 minutes a day there were yeah. there were four sets of twins they used <clears throat> oh there are four four oh. sets of twins there's only two or, or only one set is credited only one is credited, yeah. So I, that's why I was like, yeah. I think that they probably were passing around lots Indian of different babies. babies. Yeah. Like if they don't show the face, then it could have. I mean, why even just yeah. wrap up a blanket and throw it around? I was I mean, waiting whatever. to see like fake baby doll shots. Yeah. No, to their credit, all baby. But I and, did and feel like about- they were kind of pumping in, like making the crying louder. Like they're like not all of it was diegetic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> certain, no. certainly. Certainly. From a sound perspective, you have libraries and libraries of cries, and they probably had enough sound, like live sound from the actual baby, that they're just like, let the sound guy record as much as he can, and we can pump it in where we need it, because those guys wouldn't have been able to act. What I did read that was, was so yeah. funny is that, you know, the, the poster for Three Men and a Baby, where Tom Selleck is actually holding the baby Classic in the poster, poster, and he's got pee down his shirt. He revealed that that was real pee, that the baby peed on him, and they thought it was great. They just kept it for the poster. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Super hot. <laughs> Had you guys heard about the whole ghost in this movie story? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. No. Yes, which is ridiculous now watching it. What? I don't so, know this story. Go ahead, Zach. Well, there was it back in the, well, the 90s, I guess, when you didn't have 4K and Blu-ray and everything like that. There was this sort of urban legend going around that there's a ghost in the movie because at the at, towards the end when he's talking to his mom, in the window, you see like a person just standing there, but it's actually a cardboard cutout of T- Ted Danson, who was an actor. And you actually see a close up of that cardboard cutout later on in the film. So it's kind of funny that it became such a thing. Well, you know, he didn't do a lot in that movie. It could have just been the cardboard cutout the whole time. 
Yeah. Here, uh, hold on a second. I'll show you. I have a, a screenshot of it here. Just a second. And while you're doing that, there is also the fact that that baby cried a lot during the beginning. I don't know if you guys, you know, were thinking. I'm like, that's it's a lot of crying. I was like, I'm kind of I'm okay yeah. with the crying being done right now. I get it. The baby's upset, but I was like, that's a lot of crying at the beginning. Can you see it? I can. That's really yeah. creepy. Although, so imagine watching that on VHS. Yeah. Yeah, but also it doesn't look like a ghost. I mean, I have to yeah. say for whatever conspiracy theories were going on there for the supernatural, it does not look like a ghost. But that's It looks like the kid from The Omen. It, it didn't look like Ted Danson when that picture I just showed there. It exactly. didn't, but later on in the movie, this the, the, the thing is standing next to Ted Danson, the same... Yeah cut out so mm -hmm. there was a couple of things that came out that was the same time that the same ghost story about the woman in the wizard of oz hanging in the background that those yep. stories all came out at the same time it was in the infancy of the internet and everybody believed what they read on the internet yeah. was true and you watch that same part now in wizard of oz it's clearly like a bird you know just dipping its right. head but on vhs yeah, right. you couldn't tell yeah, yeah without high dev it's like everything looks like a you know a shadow or dead person yeah uh, everything all those all those old vhs have tons of dead people in it people in them you wouldn't even know it you're like hey look at it's alice in wonderland dead person dead person oh Actually, my gosh jim and steve you just watched this today so you'd have it fresher so did I. Yeah. oh my god all three of you watched it today yeah. oh wow nothing like cramming nothing like cramming for the exam eh, guys that's right <laughs> So it's super fresh in your mind for as a filmmaker, some of the things that the most tragic besides the the wayward plot going all over the place and having two movies instead of one movie, uh, it was just so jumbled. But as a filmmaker, the scene transitions, like some of the jarring, weird cuts, like it would be going from a laugh inside the apartment to like a, just a right now we cut into traffic or something. I mean, it was yes. so bizarre. I didn't understand. Like, it's like nobody... Well, this is Leonard Nimoy. Like, Leonard did not get scene transitions at all. You know, sometimes you can use those abrupt, you know, Amber, and, and you guys are probably aware too, that you, tr scene transitions are a method of storytelling. Like, having that as a element in your story is something that you can use. I don't think that they were doing that. I think that they were just like cut to the next scene and didn't bother with making a statement. Like, if you do a hard cut edit, it's supposed to be jarring, and maybe that's the part of the movie where you're supposed to be off kilter a little bit. There was no reason to be off kilter or jarred in this movie at all. Like there wasn't, it didn't make any sense. How much of it was them trying to just basically remake the French version? Because like I said, there's uh -huh. so much. You can tell the story is pretty much the same from was that Was there trailer. bad editing and cutting in the French version? Oh, I don't know. But just oh, like I'm trying sorry. to fit that same, who knows? Yeah. Just it's basically what it is, is it. it's shot selection. So even if it's not like a, a technical transition, like a like a cross dissolve or a wipe or a fade or anything like that, or a match cut or anything, it's just your shot selection shot back to back. And there's certain things that you do that, that lead your eye into the next scene or just that flow that aren't jarring. They just kind of make sense when you're putting your shot selection back to back. And this had no, it was basically like, we shot the scene and that's what comes next in the script. There it goes in the editing room. There was no thought of- Exactly. This, we're cutting away from this scene and into this scene. How does that feel? So that was that was off the whole movie and it really bothered me. How long was this one? Was it two hours? It no. was an hour and 42 minutes. Yeah. It was three hours long? <laughs> <laughs> which I part? Swear like, to God, which movie were you once, watching? The drug one or the baby one? Once the they figured one, out the right? whole drug caper and, and they 
straighten things out with the police and they go back to the apartment, I was thinking, wow, that's like, that was some movie. And then yeah. all of a sudden how was the there... second movie started. I was like, whoa, wait, what? Was... No, I, we were done. I was like, how was there another, what are they going to do for 20 minutes? No, that, I did the same thing. I paused. I'm like, I'm, I turned to Leslie. I'm like, I'm confused. I paused. I'm like, there's 20 minutes left. What's going to happen now? This could be one long ass montage. I know. <laughs> and that's the montage part was like, okay, they should have had that more in the beginning. Like that, that's the part that you're showing the bonding of the baby should have happened way earlier. And the, and the mom came back and she was like, I missed you and I love you. Like any mom that abandons their baby, they don't come back like three days later. Ah, I think I screwed up. No, no, they're gone for a while, usually. I thought, well, I didn't, I didn't, get, I didn't get it was three days. Was it three days? I don't know, not bitch. All I know is that if you leave your baby on my doorstep and then come back three days later going, I think I want you back, it'd be like, nah, bitch, sorry. You forfeit your baby, that's okay. no, not a sound mind. Yeah, I was assuming it was kind of like a month. Well, she's because she started teething, so I was like, I thought maybe there was something, and there was like they're showing how time was kind of going a little yeah, bit. It was barely long enough to really enjoy having a baby. It, it, actually, after a month of that, those if those guys were real dudes, they'd have been like, cool, 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 you can have it. Like we had our fun. Bye. It was enough that both the dads, uh, Tom Selleck's character and Steve Gutenberg's character, knew everything about her routine. Like they'd been doing yeah. enough that they knew all of her temperament and how to feed her and when she's tired and when she's cranky and what to do with her. That's more than two days. I, I just came up with this. I think <laughs> the message is that these womanizers don't really care about these women, but they know they know everything about this baby. And so, so this woman, and they even kind of make that joke. Oh. In the oh, they would never like this until another woman came into yeah. their lives. And so then when they sort of like really care, so maybe there's something there. I don't know. No, yeah, that's I mean, a good, that's actually a pretty good uh, analysis. And then she gets ripped yeah, they, away and take that, you scummy guys. Even though they weren't even that bad. Like they were like no. the nicest womanizers ever, except that one girl who came out and like punched it's Ted angry. dancing in the stomach or whatever. I didn't understand that. Well, yeah. I think the, the only shadiness was when they were trying to deceive the women, but it seemed like most of these women were just willing participants in all of the dick. It just seemed like they were super, super happy to be around these party guys. So if you've got willing, if you've got consenting adults, I don't see what the problem is. Why are you villainizing these guys? You have willing participants. All roads lead to dick. Oh, see? See? I do think, should we compare this with our other film now? We absolutely. Yes. We're going to match Just it to up. Get into the, yeah, Mr. Mom. I Mr. Think. Mom made in 1983, so a few Five years, years before. Four. I'd suck it, man. Baby, 1987. <laughs> it was directed by Stan Dragotti. He has seven, seven directing credits Necessary Roughness, She's Out of Control, The Man with One Red Shoe, Love at First Bite. Those are all pretty classic 80s, 90s movies that we all like. Uh, writer John Hughes, uh, come on, he has a staggering 53 writing credits. Uh, including so many classics, National Lampoon's Vacation, Beethoven, Home Alone, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Uncle Buck, some kind of wonderful, I mean, the list just goes on and on. He Never heard of any of them. Are they any good, those movies? He did, 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 did they shape anybody's adolescence? <laughs> I wonder, it might have been me. I think that, wasn't he set to direct this one? 
Yes, he turned it down because he wanted to shoot in Chicago. Yeah, that's super strange. So so Stan somehow got in there and then he kind of dropped off the directing planet after after like early 90s. This is starring Michael Keaton, who's Oscar nominated for Spotlight. He has 90 acting credits. This was his first lead role, Michael Keaton. Yeah, very, very important role for him. Um, he <laughs> Really? That was his first lead role? He had just done Night Shift, which was basically co-starring with... Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. Oh, that's right. I remember that movie from a long time ago. Love Brokers. Well, and yeah. here's a strange thing, is that Michael Keaton turned down Splash to yes. start in this movie. And then... <laughs> Ron Howard was asked to direct Mr. Mom, and he turned it down to direct Splash. And who is the lead actor in Splash? Some guy, uh, Tim. Some, I don't Honks? know. Some unknown. Tim Honks. He never made anything of him. Yeah. Tim. Tam Honks. Tam Honks. Yeah, something like that. Tim. Tim. And I did find it interesting. So this, Mr. Mom did so well that John Hughes got a three-picture deal with Universal, which became uh, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, and Weird Science. So those movies really because unbelievable. Like wow. those three movies in in a nutshell are my like eighth grade, ninth grade, seventh grade. Breakfast Club alone. In that in yeah. that order. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so influential, John Hughes. And, and this movie, I think, was a great stepping off point. We we all watched it together, which is the way to do it, guys. And um, it was like it might be one of the most perfect 80s movies you could ever see. It, it has montage, yeah, light sexism, stuff that wouldn't yeah. fly today. Everybody was smoking indoors. It might have been an exact hour and a half to the second. I mean, it was crazy how 80s this movie is. If you haven't seen it, everybody's seen it. But if you haven't, you should go watch it. It's pretty yeah, interesting. Michael Keaton is, has that charisma that the other guys have, but the script is better. Oh, better uh, yeah, much better. Is better. There's a lot of stuff that's better going on here. Although uh, it was apparently written as a TV movie to begin with, because uh, John Hughes had a deal with Aaron Spelling and brought him on as a executive producer. Oh, and in true multimillionaire fashion, uh, Aaron Spelling said of this movie, well, I just didn't have anything for my kids to watch, so I made this movie. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have something to watch. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That sounds like something Aaron Spelling that's would lot, say. Yeah, that's very white and rich, I have to say. <laughs> This came out the same year as another John Hughes film, National Lampoon's Vacation, which uh, Mr. Mom outgrossed. So even did a little better. Oh, wow. But, you know, I think Vacation has lasted longer in the vernacular and sort of its legs have have been shown. But this movie certainly still had uh, a lot of the stuff. And I watched it a lot. It was in heavy rotation on cable as a kid. And um, I remembered almost every joke in the same way that I remembered it. Yeah, both you and Jim have a crazy kind of recall for older movies that, you know, I could barely remember anything that happened in this movie until I saw it again. I'm like, oh, it's like seeing it again for the first time. You guys are nuts with that. I guess it is a little bit different in the sense that they were his kids. Yeah. True. But you're still kind of taking that like role reversal thing just in a slightly different. Michael Keaton's one character was doing a lot of the same things that those three guys 
we're doing. Like yeah, that. I mean, and, and and honestly, that was the best part of both of the movies was the the shift in the gender roles and watching them try to bumble their way through what were traditionally at the time more female roles and how every mom would know how to take their kids and drop them off at the school turnaround and every mom would know that you can't use a staple gun to sew together a blanket or uh, an iron to cook a grilled cheese sandwich. But as a man, I absolutely would consider both of those things. You're like, of course a stapler could fix a blanket and why not use an iron to cook a grilled cheese sandwich? The cheese isn't even melted. I want to make sure that we also say that this movie starred Terry Garr as Caroline Mm -hmm. Butler, who is Michael Keaton's wife in this, because even though in uh, Three Men and a Baby, the mom Mary comes in at the last minute for a little, you know, bit part of the movie, whereas Terry Garr is an equal in footing here. Like the movie doesn't work without her. So it was such a great overall four quadrant movie, which is probably why at the time, Zach, it did a lot better than Vacation, which is solely an adult movie. This case, this is something that all your, the entire family could go to see. So much more accessible for everybody. it really did have like a social, I mean, like women in the workplace wasn't as prevalent back then as it is now. No, and God bless these 80s movies. They made sure that uh, one of Caroline's friends, Joan, Joan Hampton, I think, um, they had to make sure for no reason whatsoever, she was just man-hungry. Every woman in this movie was super man-hungry and most important thing to just have a man. Like Michael Keaton is unemployed at home taking children and she's like, you, I have to have- That's a married dick. (laughs) That's sexy. Now, I I really quickly just want to mention, did you guys know that there is a Mr. Mom TV series that started in 2018? I I didn't watch it, but I read about it. The weirdest thing is the mom in that show, and I'm not saying the actress or anything, but character-wise, is the baby from the movie. So that's oh. how they tie it together. Oh, wow. wow. That's that's like the long game. Like, you don't have to do that, but I, I guess it's okay. It didn't last. Well, they can say it's based on characters by John Hughes. Right, that's yeah, that's true. How, how long did that TV show run, do you know? I think one season, unless COVID kicked it off or, you know, knocked out a second season, but only one so far. Yeah. I just want to add that uh, in Mr. Mom, it also starred Jeffrey Tambor, Christopher Lloyd, Tom Leopold, Martin Mole, and Anne Gillian. So it had a really strong cast. So if you're if you're just going to go apples for apples on the casting for the two movies, both were strong casts. Well, while I'm thinking about it, there were two cameos in Three Men and a Baby. Did you happen to notice? Okay, hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't remember. I yeah, know I remember saying yeah. to myself, like, that's, uh, I should recognize that person, but I don't know. Oh, uh, at the end, the cab driver, right? Is that who oh, you're talking about? No, but who, okay. oh, the cab he driver was a com- was- He was a comedian or something. Yeah, I noticed him too, yeah. Yeah, Mario but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But the guy that was selling the little knickknacks that said the giraffe was a dinosaur, that was Colin Quinn. Oh, that, yep, yep, exactly. And the store clerk at the beginning was David Foley from oh, Kids really? in the Hall. Oh, wow. Oh, he must have been a child. Oh gosh, I yeah, no lines, oh. just sitting. I was like, good God, is yeah. that David Foley? So yeah, huh. kind of two little cameos. So for people who haven't seen Mr. Mom, the summary on IMDb is, after he's laid off, a husband switches roles with his wife. She returns to the workforce and he becomes a stay-at-home dad, a job he has no clue how to do. So there's the plot lines for both of your movies. Is that why you're growing a beard, Jim? You just don't want to tell us that you've given up and you're now going to stay home and going to be Mr. Mom. He's just been fired from his job. To your super older teenage kids. I'm the the COVID dad. I'm working and taking care of the kids. Oh, no. That's a new movie. (laughs) 
I read that, uh, you know, Michael Keaton did such a great job in this role, but mm. Chevy Chase, Michael Douglas, Steve Martin, Robin Williams, John Goodman, and John Travolta were all considered for this part. Oh, wow. Of that group, I think Robin Williams and um, Chevy Chase and Robin Williams would have probably been the elite. Yeah. Two that I know have. Chevy Chase would have just starred in Vacation that came out that year. And Robin Williams got his chance when he did Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Right. I think Michael Keaton was perfect for this because he was. I, he was, he's not goofy and he's not, yes. you know, because Chevy Chase can be a little goofy and so can Robin Williams. I think he was, he's kind of a straight guy who plays like, who can play like quirky, you know what Michael, I mean? Yeah. Michael Keaton is like a very realistic, but like right. very funny guy. You're right. Like there is very relatable of Chevy Chase where he'll kind of push it a little bit like i don't know how to put my finger on it but i know what you yeah because i mean you, you saw him on christmas like i mean he kind of like he's he kind of gets has this weird manic side to him whereas michael keaton was like you know he he was definitely relatable when he got frustrated he got really frustrated like a like a regular person would not too over the top you know yeah, and he, yeah yeah he handled this i mean one of the things you were saying steve i mean i kind of like the way you know he decided how he was going to fix some of these situations and they worked. And it's like, it was kind of neat seeing different perspectives. Like the mom wouldn't have done it that way. The dad did it and it didn't work. You know, there's stuff that he did do. I love the fact that when they had to have uh, people come to the house, everyone came on the same day. Like every single repair person in town is now at the house at the same time. It's because the mom scheduled all that the way she, cause she wanted it all to be done at once. And yeah. there's a lot of good jokes, a lot of good, um, you know, like it's basically just him and these two kids who we haven't really talked about yet, but they were so good. The two little great. boys. I, I think I've been quoting that little kid. Uh, there's a moment in the movie where he finally convinces, uh, even though there's no reason to, to take away his whoopee, which is his blanket of this kid who can't be more than seven. You know, you would never take away kid's blanket. He might even have been four. Yeah, yeah, maybe he was. Yeah, yeah he was young, yeah. and and so uh, he convinces him to take it. Uh, he, he lets him, you know, his dad take his whoopee away, and he says something like, "Can I please have a moment to myself?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something like that. And I've been quoting that since we watched it because it's so it's such a good thing to say. I just need a moment by myself. That's please. the thing is that John Hughes has the heart, you know, in a lot of the, his films. Yeah. That maybe, like I said, I got real teary eyed at the end of Three uh, Men and a Baby but I don't know that it had the heart that Mr. Mom does. John Hughes nails that. And yeah. even he had like that angsty face with Pretty in Pink and 16 Candles and Breakfast Club that were all kind of based a little bit in like dark, depressive kind of situations. And this one was like, Mr. Mom was nice and light all the way through. Just how I like my comedies, very little stakes, very like little bit of tension. But most of John Hughes movies, even in Home Alone and Uncle Buck and... Um, maybe Beethoven. even vacation. There's like Ferris, Bue Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There's always this moment where he breaks off that's unlike any other part in the film. Like it slows down. If you remember Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's just this super fun, campy thing. And then all of a sudden, there is this really it. deep, dark moment. There's a moment like that in Uncle Buck. There's even a moment like that in Home Alone. And this one didn't have that, but he really knows how to tap into, hey, everything's going fine in life, but I'm going to slow it down, hype up the stakes, and then give you some relief. He's brilliant. Yeah. I think maybe that moment would have been when he was contemplating cheating with Joan, which is Angelian's character. And it didn't so get campy. super... Yeah, it was because he was in the shower and he was like A, B, C. And I think it was also his 
wondering if his wife was cheating on him and and but the stakes they weren't as high yeah they they didn't come across as being quite so he was definitely depressed and definitely struggling but you know it was all about rocky you know like every analogy he made in the movie was about rocky which was hilarious because he he had never seen it i love that conversation at the beginning when they're trying to figure out which rocky they're talking about was was the coach (laughs) alive or dead did i have mr t did he have a mohawk (laughs) was he russian yeah. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I haven't seen it, but I know that. <laughs> no, 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 no. He walks off, and they're like, "He didn't watch Rocky." <laughs> he didn't see. Speaking Rocky. of speaking of that scene, how weird! There's just a style of filming in the '80s where it was more like theatrical production. Those four guys, when Michael Keaton's in the auto factory with his other engineers, they're literally talking in a straight line, all open body towards your audience, which is a very like stage play kind of way of shooting something very unnatural, unrealistic. There's another shot where um, Caroline and Jack are sitting on the edge of their bed together, but they're both sitting away from each other, three quarter to the audience having a conversation. It's hmm. the most very stage play kind of thing that you would see. It's super well, weird. In that first scene, they were actually in a car manufacturing plant that wasn't a set they were in like a place that made cars you can't fake where they were at because it was like you could see all that stuff happening in the background and there were sparks flying and I, that was that was, was maybe also, the only place they could CG. stand they cg'd it it was oh wait a second they probably couldn't cg it was 1983 it was all stop motion and clay <laughs> <laughs> i actually would have been literally on their backs in that. Are you scene. serious? It, it was, was that. So close. Uh, hold on. Am, Maybe it's uh, depth perception. Who, who's who's on my team? Who thinks they were actually in oh, a car manufacturing? And who believes that Amber that they were that they were forced perspecting it from a either a screen or something like that? There's they they were they were at a the car. first piece of footage that was an actual car manufacturing plant could have been taken isolated, not even on that same shooting day. Absolutely. And then other absolutely. sets could have been created afterwards. I want to believe they were there for some reason, but you might be right. Okay, you know what? Yeah. They were there. <laughs> well, I care. And it was 83. They were there. There was no safety. You know what? You're right. They could have just... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was on fire. <laughs> they, they, they were filming Three Men and a Baby there, too. There was a baby at the car place. Yeah. I mean, listen, they okay. brought this... They, and Three Men and a Baby, they brought the baby through everything, including, you know, facing the drug dealer. So, you know, like I think, you know, you couldn't leave the baby with a babysitter. You're going to bring yeah. them on that little, you know, that little sting with the drug dealers. And there's yeah. that part at the end where like they're they take the baby with them on all of their jobs. Like Ted Danson's yeah. rehearsing and he, he turns around, he's got like the baby on his back. Like, good God. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And then yeah, and then you have Tom Selleck bring him to like a construction site with yeah. that little pink hat on. It's like that's not an album if a bean falls on her head. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cute. It is cute. It's like, oh, look how look how you know. You guys will probably know this because you guys are so good with this kind of stuff. But John Hughes in Mr. Mom did a sequence, remember the the race between the boss and Jack, Chariots of Fire was being spoofed in a satirical way in the background. He has done that with one other movie. Do you know what movie that is? John Hughes? Mm -hmm. Beethoven. Um, Beethoven (laughs) 2. Hold on. It came Is it one of the ones we mentioned? Is it one of the ones we mentioned? No. Yes, it's one of the ones Zach mentioned right off the bat. It came out same time. Vacation? Yeah. 
Really? So two oh, John Hughes movies, so same year, and he had a spoof of Chariots of Fire in that. When and running to, oh, it's when they're running to Wally World. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. So what? that was like really in his, you know, in, his, in the well, ether. That, I remember, I'm, that sound, that music was very, oh, that's, like, that's that was scene. iconic. Yes, so the, the, yeah, the everyone knows what that was. On the beach. It, won, it won an Oscar that year yeah. for Best Picture. Or I haven't song, seen really. that movie, and yet from a very young age, that you know, that's not, yeah. scene was ingrained in my head. Yeah. And every time you run, you have that kind of going through your head. Yes, yes. That Vangelis uh, soundtrack, yeah. I think his name was. Yeah, I think it, it works for all of those types of scenes from here until eternity, yeah. you know? Everybody knows when you hear that, it's like slow-mo running. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like we know what our opinions are about this movie. Mm. I'm wondering, how did the audience respond to these things at this time? Well, Jim, well, this I is will, your I will, department. I will let you know. Um, yeah, for... Oh, wait, is this is this Metacritic? Well, well, this would be this would be audience review or Metacritic, yeah. and we also somehow wrap up like budget into this yeah, budget. Yeah, and yeah, this is the critics, the Metacritic, and Jesus, and Steve, don't you know the format by now? Jim, listen, I wrote a new, I wrote a new Metacritic song, and okay, actually, it's check this out. This one, I actually am proud of this. The other one's kind of a joke. This is real. See, that's the perfect uh, representation <laughs> of Metacritic because it kind of meanders for a while yeah. and then it takes a left turn just like the reviews. <laughs> exactly. That was perfect. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, well, like we said, we were talking, uh, let's talk Three Men and a Baby first. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, they gave it a 76. The audience score was a 47. So didn't wow. do quite as wow. well as the audience. And this could be also, remember, this movie came out in 87. When these scores are done, it could be done later on. So it, maybe it wasn't done when the movie came out, but as people watched it, you know, maybe they thought the same thing we did, or it's like, um, you know, what's with this, you know, drug plot right now? <laughs> let's um, put the heroin in the baby's diaper. That's a perfect place to yeah, do your whole gigantic... 5,000 square foot house. That's the best place you can <laughs> put your heroin. Yeah, I know. And, and what would the baby peed on it? It's like, then what happens? You know, it's like, you know. And then the cop's holding it. He's like, oh, the diaper's full. And it's that, worth that, more. That actually makes it more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. On that note, the runtime on that was one hour and 42 minutes. I think we talked about that. The box office gross was 167,000, uh, 167 million, sorry. Oh. Um, that and that could be to date. I don't. I don't know if that was exactly at that particular time, but 167 million dollars. What did it cost to make? It was 11 or 10? I was gonna say 10 mil. It was 11. Million. It only cost 11 million dollars. Well, yeah. that in 80 something. That's how yeah, well, yeah. Two each went to those three guys. So right. right. I was gonna say. I wonder if they had any back. I mean, did they do back end deals back then? I don't know. Because I mean, you're right. Those. I mean, two of those guys were on hit TV shows. So yeah, they they weren't cheap. I'm sure. Uh, and Ted Danson was making that. That was something about Cheers when he was making a ton of money for the time for per episode. I think he was the first one to make like a like a hundred grand an episode or something. And it, sound, it sounds right. That was like way above and beyond anyone else. Did you just gag? Did you just gag a little bit on that? <laughs> hundred thousand an episode. Oh, hundred thousand an episode. <laughs> 
You're right. It's but now, you know, the Friends team made a million dollars an episode, and so did um, uh, the Bank Theory. They, okay. They're making millions. So, you know, the stakes have definitely risen. But for back it. then, it was huge. Then TV people didn't make that much money. Well, I mean, in 1980, whatever this was, that might have been the equivalent of $2,021 million episode. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah for sure. Because a gallon of gas didn't cost five dollars. That's right. That's true. Thanks, like, government. Let Jim like, finish. Like Seventy-one cents. I'm sorry. Whole nother, whole nother um, podcast. Sorry. Uh, so, Rick said the release date was 1987. Um, I did find um, one critic review from TV Guide. They said the leads acquit themselves fairly well, but the biggest winner is Selleck, whose low-key charm and gift for light comedy are put to good use here. So Tom Selleck kind of stole the show for them. He really kind of does feel like the lead to me if you have yeah. to pick one. I mean, Tom, oh, Arnold, yeah. Ted Danson's gone for half an hour, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's not, yeah, he doesn't, and he doesn't, there's not much character development with Ted Danson, it doesn't seem like. He doesn't really, he doesn't seem to bond with the baby as much as the other ones did. It, it To me, it didn't seem like, yeah. you know, at least, so. Um, so for Metacritic, I did have some Metacritic reviews. The Metacritic score is 61 for this movie and the audience score was 7.1. And one, the, I have three uh, Metacritic reviewers. Um, M-A-T-M was the first one. He reviewed it recently. So this is a recent review. Three Men and a Baby is super cute. I remember watching it a lot as a kid, but I just watched it in 2021 for the first time since then. The cast has great chemistry. The tone is spot on what it should be. It is one of those movies that just feels right to watch. I know my description doesn't really match up with the rating I'm giving it. I think that it's because I consider this movie a comedy and I didn't really laugh a lot while watching it. It's, you know, the heroin part, I think it was threw him off. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone should regret watching Three Men and a Baby, but it just won't change your life either. I give it a C. If you've already seen the best, but you insist on watching a movie, try this one out. Is this Steve's? In metacritic form, it wasn't stumbling. <laughs> it was the writing, like I said in the past. Steve, he just watched it today. He admitted it. Right, <laughs> <laughs> adds up. Oh, wow, you pay attention. Uh, all right, and this one is, um, and that was M-A-T-M. That was the person for, that did that one. This one is... Um, Tootsie Popper. <laughs> they, this is a recent review also. And this reviewer says, I am a mom of four and I found this movie hilarious. Watching guys try to handle a tiny baby really made me laugh. Just caught this movie recently on streaming and forgot how much I loved the 80s. I saw this as a teenager in the theater and remember thinking how hard it would be to have a baby. Now I have four grown kids and let me tell you, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> I don't know what the writers were thinking but it's not that hard. It was fun to watch two hunky guys and Ted Danson fumble around. <laughs> oh, poor Ted. I heard they were going to do a remake of the classic with e-boy Zac Efron. Damn it. I'm mad because the original is such a classic. Don't go looking for parenting tips from this movie, but as a mom of four, I enjoyed it. Let me ask you, did this woman have four kids? She had four kids. Um, <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure she only mentioned it five yeah. times. Yeah. And it was a breeze, let me tell you. Oh yeah, this, I don't I'm like I'm pretty sure movie. that one was Steve now. Maybe Steve wrote <laughs> all of these. <laughs> this one's Noah Ross, and he wrote this back in 2018, supposedly. Mm. A funny movie for its time. Today, it's merely a film that is bloated with subplot and 80s music montages. Nevertheless, it's a mildly enjoyable movie. I wouldn't say mm. it was filled with montages. I mean, it didn't seem like there was an... It was the beginning and the end. I mean, the beginning had one, and then the end had the park one. With there all were like two long ones, yeah. yeah on the, either Felt like five. Everyone's throwing frisbees. Yeah, and all the, women, all the women were following the guy with the baby. Like there's like, eight, there's like. Oh, eight I've never seen a baby before. I know. I know. 
I like the verbiage though. It was bloated with subplot. That's a great way to steal that. Who was, who was that? That was from Noah Ross. Oh, Noah. I like it. Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's go to Mr. Mom. Uh, tomato score of 75, audience score of 57, which hmm. is slightly higher. Kind of, kind of higher, but lower then, than I thought it was. I, I would have imagined it being a little higher than that, but maybe, like yeah. you said, it hasn't been reviewed in a while. So yeah. So the runtime was an hour and thirty-one minutes, like Steve said, just right at an hour thirty Perfect. for, uh, for uh, the '80s genre. This one made one hundred and eighty-two million, and release date was nineteen eighty-three. So it didn't do quite as well. As... How much did it cost to make? This one was. Five million? I think it was five million. I had it written it down. only cost five million dollars. It wasn't very much. Oh, I think everybody was. I mean, Michael Keaton was yeah. brand. New. No one was really asking. Yeah, it wasn't. That's I, right. I had it written down on here, but I think I think it was like I was. It was, uh, five, it was, it was five. Yeah. So Harry Gar was probably a bigger star than Michael Keaton at the time. Then I believe she had done I know, she Frankenstein. She was on yeah. TV as well, right? Yeah, she did some. She did some seventy stuff. So she, yeah, she's been around. Martin Mull was a big TV guy by then, yeah. right? Yeah. WKRP and stuff like that. Most yeah. of those actors were TV actors, which makes sense yeah. when Zach was saying it was originally written yeah. television. Yeah. Yeah. And get this because, um, oh, it's just interesting. Um, because John Hughes wanted to work in Chicago when it was still a TV movie, I guess uh, they had a bunch of TV writers rewrite the script, which is kind of interesting. Once it got changed back to a feature film, whoever the producer was, woman's name i can't remember but she decided that the original script was better which i'm sure it was <laughs> yeah i mean if, well if you do in chicago then you wouldn't be able well i get the detroit thing was a huge part of it so that'd been hard yeah but know, I, yeah i don't that'd know been harder because i mean there was a whole i mean timing wise for the 80s because the car industry was kind of going down the layoffs all that, that completely made sense so that was you know i think that was a, probably a good point for them the main that was the main theme of his other movie gung-ho was also about cars yeah, Michael Keaton. Jim, how did you feel working in marketing, watching Terry's character, Caroline, go in and handle the marketing it's world? Is that what it's like when you go into boardrooms? You know, funny back then too, they probably wouldn't, I mean, the thing that she had that was different is she was really close with the Martin, Martin Mole mm -hmm. character, yes. his, the boss. Otherwise, they would not have listened to her at all back then. You know what I mean? They, she wouldn't right. have any power whatsoever. She gave her, he gave her a voice because you can see other the women in the room were like, they really didn't say anything or they always agreed with what the guy said. She was allowed to kind of go outside the box. Sounds good to something. me. Huh? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so Even yeah, I mean, Terry Gar knew yeah, what she was talking about. Like she yeah. had that first person experience being a mom. Right. You wouldn't have listened to her anyway. Right, they, exactly. It's like you, they still wouldn't listen to her, even though they're like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a mom. Well, yeah, that's your audience, idiots. But they don't think that way, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, they, she had that kind of foot in the door because of him. But yeah, realistically, no, first time in, no, it would never have, she wouldn't have been in that boardroom. And, you know, I love that boardroom too. It's like so much cigarette smoke, so much food, all that stuff. Crazy. Almost all guys knowing nothing about what they're talking about. <laughs> The one like, thing so it's I just didn't... like so it's just like today, like when you're around there, I imagine you like being the the eye candy where you're just getting eye fucked all the time in your conference room and you're like, "Does that beard?" <laughs> 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 They're like, uh, "What did you say, Jim?" Yeah. I just couldn't. <laughs> On the client side, so you have like you have some creative people coming up with all these out of the box ideas, but there's a lot of especially conservative clients that won't take that chance. They they'll go with something that has worked in the past 
before they'll take a chance on something right away. So once in a while, you'll get a client that's like, okay, well, we'll try it. We'll do it. And that's when you get the really good work because you, it's, it is a team effort. Sometimes it's not the agency's fault. They have these great ideas, but the client just won't approve them. So Ooh, like what clients don't like good ideas, Jim, give me very specific <laughs> names. Um, like what clients names. don't. <laughs> Lexus loves all. Lexus is a great client. They love Oh, actually, this is a great question. Can you say what client was open to creative ideas and new ideas that you didn't expect to be open to things? What surprised you? I mean, there were some there were some things I got through Lexus because Lexus is more of a conservative company that there are some ideas I got through that I'm like, I really like that. I'm glad they took a chance on it. You know, and those things work. There's a lot of stuff that comes out that's timely that you got to kind of hit right now and you're taking a chance. So it's like, and you got to mm -hmm. make sure, you know, you have this message, this target, this um your brand it has to fit within the brand too so if it could be a great idea but doesn't fit in your brand so that's why you can't use it not because it's not a good idea just it doesn't fit with who you are mm. and that's part of it too it has to be a great idea and fit the product and the client so marrying those two things are kind of hard sometimes too well, i have a follow-up question to that yeah. so let's say Alexis <clears throat> per se loves one of your out-of-the-box ideas and it's timely and relevant and you say it's all about timing and it needs to hit the market now how fast can you turn around an ad campaign from the time of conception to getting on the air to the consumer let me guess let me guess let me guess according to this movie it was a day and a half I, oh, I know, that That's was one long. thing too not only, not only that it's like New York filmed it. Yeah. <laughs> they filmed it she flew back and it was on tv the next day <laughs> that doesn't happen that doesn't happen uh, but to answer your question i mean you know you can turn around an idea pretty quickly if everyone's really on board and everyone's really ready to approve ideas and do stuff really quick we've done some stuff that's been really fast and then some stuff takes a lot longer i like when stuff goes a little faster because i think those are the best ideas sometimes you overthink things and then you overthink it and you change it overthink and overthink and overthink and then you kind of water it down because you just get in your head like with anything you know yeah, i've been on movies. a billion pitches where you go and you're doing a new business pitch and you have these great ideas you're working on for four weeks and then a creative director will come in and go no i don't like it i can start over and you have like two days and now you're supposed to come up with a better idea in two days and it's like how oh, are we gonna get just, something that's better? just like television <laughs> i i make i make i make it a point to underthink as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can see that. I can see that about you. I, I can see that. I enjoy underthinking all my Just thoughts. Always aim a little low. Yeah. Never yeah. be disappointed. Yeah, never be disappointed. Yeah. It's, all, it's all a balance. It's all like, you know, those great. And when those pop up and when those really good ideas happen, like, okay, that's why it worked. It's like everything happened to mesh together. And, you know, some things you think are going to be great and they don't work. And you're like, why? You do like the marketing Ooh. studies and the, the target and you, and you do focus groups. It's just hard to know. Some things, it's like a video going viral. You don't know why, it just does. You, and that, we we did in advertising, we'll have clients, we, this is like a few years ago, uh, like 10 years ago, I was working at this agency and then a, you know, a client said, you know, we wanna make a viral video. You don't make a viral video. Basically you make a video and if it goes viral, great, but you don't know what it's- Don't plan on it now. You know, they just go viral. If you there was a formula for making viral videos, we'd all have one. Yeah, well, I've been, exactly. I've had jobs like that before. Like when I was social media for a company and they were like, just make a viral video. Okay. I'll go out and, and some guy will just get uh, taking it in the nuts for a couple of minutes. And there's your viral video. Throw a football kitten in, in there, the oh, football well, in the groin. Come on. Steve, yeah. then let's uh, tomorrow schedule hey, time. I'm going to, I'm going to kick you in the nuts. Okay. Underthought that. Throw a cat I on top of you. And I, again, yeah. underthought that. 
but okay. And have a double rainbow behind you, and that will help there you. Go. Oh, well, sounds pretty. Hey, so keep reading those reviews. All right. Yeah, so sorry. anyways, I'm sorry, sorry. So this one, where, where are we at? Right, Mr. Mom. Uh, you were starting. You had not read any reviews yet, right. Mr. Mom. So for Mr. Mom, I did find a Roger Ebert review for uh, Mr. Mom. So I pulled that one. He said, Mr. Mom rarely rises above the level of a polished TV sitcom and the notion of a stay-at-home dad treated here as the craziest idea ever had really <laughs> taken root by 1983. Still, it's hard to resist Keaton in the seemingly tailor-made role. So he was, I mean, it's funny he said TV sitcom because kind of like you guys said, he this was kind of supposed to be a TV movie. Yeah, and that's how he kind of, that's how he kind of saw it too. But he did say that it was perfectly written for Keaton. And it, I, I agree with that too. I think. That was actually one of the best reviews I've ever heard anybody ever write about any movie. It was exactly it's the right length. It was on, yeah. perfect, spot on. That's why he's Roger Ebert. Well, yeah. I don't know. I have a quote here from Steve Walter that says that Mr. Mom oh, no. is the godfather of all men taking care of baby movies. <laughs> hard to argue. I wasn't going to tell you, I wasn't going to say it, but now that I think about it, I did watch another movie. Uh, it was called Three Men and a Lady, and it was way different. It was not at all one that it, anybody should watch ever. Three Men and a Little Lady? The sequel? So she was three, uh, three, three, three Men and a Very Big Lady. Oh, I see. Three Men and a Grown Adult Woman. Three Big Men and a Bigger Lady. Wow. Three Hard Men and a Busty Lady. Do not recommend. <laughs> Plus two. Did they take care of them? Were there, were there diapers involved? Oh, oh no. now we're talking. Oh, no. All right. Uh, no, but so... somebody was peeing on somebody on the cover art. That <laughs> <laughs> digress quickly. Um, <laughs> we um, um, so uh, full disclosure here: we do not have any Metacritic reviews for Mr. Mom. I don't know why. Yeah, it's so weird. It's though there's there was none. I try to find it, but I did find some good IMDb ones, um, and there were some good ones in there. So I pulled those, and this is the first one. It's from Scott one zero five four. He says the greatest movie ever. I know it seems weird to say this about a John Hughes film, but I honestly think this is one of the great films of all time. There are so few movies that are so flawless. The script is hilarious. The editing is seamless. Every line is quote worthy. The acting is spot on. Michael Keaton is at the top of his game. Terry Garr is a comic genius and the casting is perfect. The story is both goofy and rather deep. It contains at least a dozen of my top 100 all-time favorite movie moments. It's the kind of film you like to see late at night on TV and you start watching a few minutes and then suddenly before you know it, you've watched the whole thing again. Obviously, I highly recommend this film and encourage more filmmakers to study it because they just don't make them like this anymore. It's weird to say, and I'm not saying Mr. Mom, but to say that it's weird that John Hughes hasn't made a life-changing film, whatever that yeah. first sentence was, it's like, yeah. yeah. There's tons of life-altering John Hughes. Yeah, yeah, like every single movie that he made. Was this written by John Hughes? Breakfast Club. <laughs> Mom. Breakfast Club should be re like required viewing for all high school freshmen. You know, yeah. like there's. Yeah, I, yeah, I showed my kids the movie. It's it's still relevant today, and it's one of those movies that's like I hope they don't try to remake it because it, I don't think they can. Ferris Bueller. Oh, Bre Breakfast Club. Yeah. Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. Oh, I thought you were talking about Mr. Mom. I'm like. No, uh, <laughs> no, no, Breakfast Club. No, right Breakfast Club, I don't know how you would do it justice. I don't think you could. Mm -mm. Well, mm -mm. let's watch the TV show, <laughs> find out. Uh, 
<laughs> All right, and this is from Studio A, and he wrote, uh, writer John Hughes was capable of producing brilliant films as he proved with Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, Some Kind of Wonderful. He was also, however, capable of churning out daft comedies like this one. It's not great, unfortunately, very much in the same mold as Three Men and a Baby in the sense that it thinks that men can't look after children, which is, that's why I picked that one. I like the way he kind of, you know, also compared it to three men and maybe, you know. Steve. I wouldn't say it was daft. No. (laughs) Yeah. Dad gummit. All right, and this one is from Sally Sailor Girl. Um, That's Steve's, clearly. First off, I have to say, I'm a vegan. Please do not eat meat. Now on to my review. I watched this movie after seeing Birdman because I'm not familiar with Michael Keaton's early work. I watched Mr. Mom, Gung Ho, Night Shift, and Beetlejuice. I thought this was his worst performance. It seems like they couldn't borrow or rob a joke in this film. Only laugh I got was from the hilarious side character, plumber exterminator, owner of the tuna company. Why wouldn't the movie be about them? See my other reviews for his other films on IMDb. Needless to say, there are much better and highly recommend Gung Ho for the social and r- racial commentary. <laughs> Were there any palindromes in that one? I don't I'm know sure if I can never catch a palindrome at all, but I think that Steve wrote all of our reviews today. I, can't <laughs> <laughs> I think he just sent a whole list. Just <laughs> <laughs> just give me all of them because there's no reviews no he actually only wrote one of each oh so um yeah so let's go back um if we go to three men and the baby was m-a-t-m uh tootsie popper and noah rose and tootsie mm. popper was the mom of four um m-a-t-m-a uh, m-a-t-m gave it a c and said that um he didn't consider the movie a, uh, a comedy and didn't really laugh that much and then Noah Rose was the guy who said it was bloated with subplot. I'm gonna go Tootsie Popper. Is that the mom of four? Yeah, yeah. Only, only because of the one line where we watch two hunky guys and Ted Danson. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> you know, I sometimes I'll, I'll deviate from Amber and I'm always wrong. So I'm gonna stick with Amber on this one. Uh, Tootsie Popper was Steve. <laughs> I got to change those names. And the palindrome was in that one, uh, Damn It, I'm Mad, right? About remaking, Damn It, I'm Mad. I don't know. I can never catch those. Yeah, yes, Damn It, I'm Mad because the original is such a classic. Well, there yeah. you go. That's well done. Zach's starting to pay attention. <laughs> and then I think for the second one, is it's so I hard because they both seem, just, they seem so crazy. But I, I think I have to go with Studio A. Studio A. And uh, Zach, you said what? Sally Sailor Girl. Sally Sailor Girl. Um, oh, Sally Sailor Girl was, was so crazy. Uh, yes. Borrow, was borrow. Too good of a name. Borrow or Rob. Borrow, borrow oh, or Rob. Nice, nice. Yep. Now oh, I wasn't Sally absolutely Sailor. positive, but my it was more I hoped that was. <laughs> uh, they were both so good. They both they could all have been written by you this time. Jim, you did a good yeah. job picking out those last those those Mr. Mom ones were awful. Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> yeah. I have to be careful because I can't make them too weird, but I, I went online and I looked at a few on IMDb and yeah. I go, okay, I can Gracious. I can match the craziness of this. There are some that you're like, Jim has found some Metacritic reviews that you couldn't be. So good. They yeah. just, and that's why it's so I would bummed. say that you can't write that shit, but apparently you can. The people <laughs> that have nothing better to do with their lives than review old films. Yeah. Oh, I'm God. a mother of four. Yes. Huge question here zach we need a uh, 
Steve, we need a sound effect of like the little wheel that goes around like that little wheel, like you're spinning one of those reels for the douchemeter because I need to know Zach's douchemeter. We need a sound effect for that. We need to know would Zach hang out with Leonard Nimoy? Stan Dragati? What's the douchemeter there? The directors? Well, this is your thing. Like that's how we rate how cool these people are if you would have lunch with them or hang out with them. I would obviously go with Leonard Nimoy. I mean, despite me liking the, maybe choosing the movies the other direction. This isn't Sophie's choice. These guys could both be <laughs> legit guys that you are think are low on the douche. I mean, it's hard to tell anger. by strictly directing <laughs> ability. Uh, maybe, they bo- maybe they're both cool. I thought you were going to ask me if I'd rather hang out with uh, Ted, Tom, or Steve. That's not the game. That's not. Oh, my mistake. I'm no, sorry. Yeah. You set the rules, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like several podcasts ago, we had to decide like how douchey of a director would there be where you wouldn't I hang out get, with him. I didn't get douche vibes from either one of these fellas. Yeah. And, and also, also, anything that was coming close would have been more of the time, I think, than anything. Yeah. I agree. I did not get douchey vibes from these. but No, I didn't need to see all that you know, so much naked baby necessarily. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I that's a weird that I noticed that too. You can't show that anymore. No, they won't let you show that anymore. No, 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 no. I noticed that too. I'm like, I wonder if you could, yeah, you don't see that anymore. Yeah, I was surprised. I was like, whoa. Yeah, there was like no, there was like no, it was, yeah, they don't, they don't do that anymore. No, 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 they don't. And now if any pedophile is listening to this podcast, you'd be like, no, where do I get the <laughs> what, oh, can I find? Oh, what can I find? Speaking of pedophiles, Amber, I was checking our email, our fan email, which is uh, filmfightspodcast at gmail.com. And I went through and there were no fan emails except that one from my mom. Oh, <laughs> that's so sad. We did get a couple of admin advertisements, but that's about it. So next week we'll, we'll try to read some fan mail. <laughs> Somebody send us one. I'm going to start writing fake fan mails also, and you'll have to guess. <laughs> yeah, re- review us on oh, iTunes. <laughs> Yeah, review us. Yeah. Oh, there you, you know, go. You know, I did find out that when I was looking for reviews and stuff, I was I was searching through, and there was one site, and it's one of those sites. I forget the name of it now, but you kind of look up movies to see if they're kid friendly and and what what about. Oh, them. with kids in mind. Something like that. It's one yeah. of those. I don't know if it's that exact one, but for Mr. Mom, it had this it had this little section that said "Talk to your kids about," and in this one, it said "Talk to your kids about." Families can talk about. This is for Mr. Mom. Families can talk about gender roles in Mr. Mom how it was hard for the homemaker to become the breadwinner and vice versa. The idea of the house husband was a novelty in the 80s. Has that changed? Caroline's boss blatantly hit on her. Could an employer behave like that today? What are the recent movies you've seen that show men in domestic roles? So there's all these like- That's really cool. That they're trying to show you. This character kills someone. Is it okay to kill? (laughs) Talk to your kids about nudity. Or whatever. I actually love that though. You know, for parents who are just are not organic conversation starters at the dinner table and need a little right. prodding or prompting, that's awesome. That's, that's great. I actually use that website many times. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it's called With Kids in Mind, and it, it actually yeah. breaks down every profanity, violence, sex, drugs, all the way through. So you can really get a good idea of what you're taking your kids to see if you don't you want them to restrict what your kids or, see. or how much you'd like to see that movie or not see that movie. And then do, <laughs> do I restrict what my kids watch now? Not so, Maybe not much. so much now, but like when they were growing oh, up, when they were little, yeah. absolutely. We were some of the last uh, people on our plot to let our kids play like Call of Duty or uh, watch uh, Star Wars. Like, I, I think my, oh, my kids Wars. didn't. Well, uh, Revenge of the Sith specifically, 
uh, because my mom of, thought that I'd have trouble. Well, not some. My mom thought I'd have trouble with Jabba the Hutt. He's a giant out. poop. He looks like poop. He's uh, a big speaking, Michael Keaton did a voiceover acting in Call of Duty BTW. Wow. No kidding. You yeah. know what Michael Keaton's real name is? You Michael. Did I already Michael, do that? I already did Michael that. Queaton. I, I did that when we watched the movie. Yes. Uh, oh, I know. Yes. I forgot. Name is Michael no, does Dutton. he have? Does that not Michael his real Douglas, name? That's right. Yeah. His name's Sal. What? What is it? His name's Michael Douglas, but obviously there's already a Michael Douglas. Oh, that's right. And he had to change it because there's already a Michael Douglas. That's crazy. Right? He doesn't look. He just looks like a Michael Keaton. He doesn't look he like. Does Michael he picked yeah, his yeah. name really well? And by the he way, he looks like Beetlejuice. Jim was reading the with kids in mind thing and asking, could this happen today? Um, well, apparently at some of the companies that Jim and Steve have worked at in the past, yes, you could absolutely hit on somebody or offer somebody drugs or like these guys have worked for some wild companies. Like I have <laughs> had no office parties that are like- That was, uh, Amber, that was just me. It was all me. I was doing <laughs> was all the, the drugs past, and- In the past, and, yeah. fun. But I want to work at fun places like that. Yeah, but it was just funny because you just asked Steve if, if he would make sure that whatever the, his kids were watching were appropriate for the age, which I would do too. My dad took me to go see Jaws when I was five, <laughs> five years old. And the funny part is I had to go to the restroom. So my dad took me to the restroom in the middle of the movie. And when I got back, I'm walking down the aisle of the movie uh, to go to go back to our seat. And at that point, Jaws had come up and there was a kid on the raft. He bit the kid's leg and the leg flew down. When that happened, I screamed so loud and scared everyone in the theater. <laughs> and they all screamed. My dad grabbed my mouth and covered it. It was, he said, you were, you screamed, you were, your eyes went huge. You screamed. Everyone in the theater jumped and screamed. <laughs> and I covered your mouth and brought you back to the seat wow I'm like I, could we do jaws at five years old i've never i have still not let my kids uh or watch jaws with my kids because they are already like not super cool with the ocean and and i remember it's like at what point i said to myself it's such a great movie you know what i mean and it really should be seen but I, when do i want to ruin their water going experience for the rest of their lives. At what point am I okay with that? And I, I guess I haven't gotten to that place yet. Well, you know, they're I also should. of age where they could stream it anytime they wanted. Sure, 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 sure. And I'm, if they want to watch it now, but I just know that once you see Jaws, you never go into a lake or a river or the ocean the same. You know, to be, honest, to be honest, it doesn't hold up. My kids were like, you've got to be kidding. This is not very scary because the shark does not. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so I should show Mega, the Meg yeah. or something? Or uh, the Shallow. Um, the one with Blake Lively, that one's that one scared them. Oh, that's the one where she that stuck, out, stuck yeah, out on the buoy? That one scared Ava. Ava was like, okay, now I'm done with the ocean. I did that one. I'm like, that one scared you, but Jaws didn't. She's like, no, Jaws looks Open fake. Open water or whatever? Open oh, oh, I didn't show them that one. That yeah, one. I did that not watch crazy. that movie. Oh, that one's freaky. Jim had like double double trauma. Not only did he see this horrific thing at five and a little kid that was just like him, but then his dad does like kidnap her chloroform <laughs> where he like clap and drags him to see the rest of the movie. That's I know. It's like, I was like, yeah, well, I guess I watched the rest of the movie. I was fine. But I, because when I was sitting at the seat, because of the music, dun -dun -dun, when I'm sitting at the seat, my dad covered my eyes you know, during those parts. So you can do that. But when we're walking down, you know, I was ahead of him and the scene had just started and it happened and he didn't have time to cover my eyes. And it was like, 
instantaneous. So you did know, he I, want to see the movie and just couldn't go see it without bringing you? It like, was, yeah, it was me. It was him and, his, him and his brother and me. And my I don't think my mom, I don't know where my mom was because she would not, she was not happy that he took me. But uh, Ooh, we could do shark never. movies. We could do Jaws and uh, Deep, Deep, whatever you just said. Or, or yeah, The Shallows is one. Deep Water was one. But Deep, deep Water was, that's, that's freaky. It's not really a shark movie. It's more of like a just being left, uh, yeah. which to me is like, one of the worst. I mean, if you want to like torture me, that would be the way to die. Hold on, write that down. down. How do I stop? Oh. <laughs> I can't even imagine being stuck in the middle of the ocean at night. It's pitch dark. And the movie, oh, it's just, oh, it just it, that part freaks you out for sure. You know what? My and parents covered my my parents covered my eyes on an '80s movie too, but it wasn't for sharks. It was for boobs. Yeah, that happens too. Yeah, yeah. Because I was uh, we Jamie Lee Curtis. If anybody's interested, it was Jamie Lee Curtis in. Trading spaces. Trading spaces, yeah. And I dodged that hand quickly because I was like, what are you doing? You took me to the movies. Why are you covering my face? Oh. Yeah, I remember one time my mom was watching, for whatever reason, in the morning, Tango and Cash. And uh, I got up, or maybe I just was coming out of my room, but I came out right at the part where the girl, there's there's boobs. Like, there's somebody hooking up in the back seat, and the girl goes, huh? And she just got her. You could do that in the 80s. You didn't need a reason. Yeah. Yeah, another reason. Yeah, you reason. can do that today if you want. You don't need well, that, like for some reason in the morning, she's just watching Tango and Cash. <laughs> maybe, I, yeah, I feel like, or maybe I don't know what the hell was going on. But I feel like she was also smoking a cigarette and drinking coffee. <laughs> she was having like her moment, like her quiet time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll watch anything. Watching Tango and Cash, Zach. Go back to bed. <laughs> go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, so my mom's a chain smoker now. <laughs> she's probably very nice. She doesn't smoke, but she was watching Tango and Cash at eight in the morning. <laughs> I know something's going on. <laughs> She's probably very nice. She's a very nice woman. She doesn't smoke or drink coffee. Yeah. And Steve is like, I'm oh, sorry. No, that's right. Or okay. she's like the best if she's watching Tango and Cash in the morning. I know. Exactly. Yeah, I was not allowed to watch. I, I think the first rated R movie I ever even saw was like Desperado. That was the 90s. Oh, uh, that was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Selma Hayek. Oh, boy. Talk about boobs. Anyway. A lot of booms happening there. Yeah, I was more well, what we talked about the horror movies, and that's that, those are my first ones. And, be, and they always have that gratuitous sex scene in them. That's like, you know, your parents would cover your eyes. Oh, you, can see, you can see people getting their like, you know, their heads cut off and stabbed to death. Yeah, but don't what? Or, or bitten in half at jaws at five, but don't see boobs. No boobs. Yeah. Americans are so weird. We're so yeah. uptight about that kind of stuff. It's yeah. bizarre. Fill into my other right. podcast. Why are Americans so uptight starting tomorrow? <laughs> an offshoot it's christmas time at some point we should probably do like a christmas movie matchup we'll have to think about two comparable oh, christmas yeah. movies oh yeah oh there's a t- yeah. jingle all the way and die hard <laughs> we'll work on it we'll see what? What all right i think that's our show i think that's all we got right we didn't go our we didn't give our picks oh shit uh i think that i picked a slight edge to mr mom michael keaton sold it but uh certainly tom Selleck was legit in three minute baby, but just a slight edge to Mr. Mom. All right, Jim. I'm way Mr. Mom. No slight oh. edge. No edging you know, for you? you. You throw heroin in the movie with the kids. I. Oh, that's where you draw the line. That's okay, where I draw good the to line. know. Good to know. All right, we're learning a lot about Jim tonight. Zach <laughs> <laughs> exactly traumatizes again. So I will never go in the ocean, <laughs> and I draw the line at heroin in kid movies. You know, kind of somewhere between Steve and Jim, I think. I mean, like I definitely pick like to be your mom. <laughs> over the, out of the two but uh 
you know, even though Miss like Three Men and a Baby was, I don't want to say boring necessarily, but I mean, like it was such a product of its time. And so it was kind of entertaining enough to watch it, but I would watch Mr. Mom again. I don't need to see Three Men and a Baby again. Although I will at some point watch the sequel because I never have. You know, I was going to believe you, but then there was the sequel to, what was it? Joyrider Duel or what was Joy- it? I think there's three Joyrider Duel. So you were going to watch the sequel to that and then- Joyer Ride. Yeah, the Joyer Ride. And then you were going to watch the sequel to Friend Requester Unfriended. Did I, is there a sequel to this? I don't know. There's been a couple now that you keep saying that you're going to watch. So now I don't believe you're going to watch them. But if you do- Oh, I'll wa- no, I'll watch Three Men and Little Lady. The problem is finding a place to, that, is, that you can watch these movies. Sometimes they're hard to find. Oh, wait. I think it's almost done. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, it's done. Time to time to break break down those movies, guys. Break them down. Well, for me, hands down, Mr. Mom, better movie. A Three Men and a Baby was enjoyable, confusing, but totally enjoyable. But of the two, I think Mr. Mom is just a better constructed. Is that movie. image of Michael Keaton with the goggles and the chainsaw? That's yeah, awesome. Just. Yeah, right. Uh, if you need me, I'll be at the uh, golf range or the gun club. <laughs> yeah. 21, 22, whatever it takes. 221, was apparently, that line was apparently a Martin Mull uh, improv line. He told Michael Keaton to say it. Oh, oh really? Brilliant. Brilliant. I approve. Uh, so like, like, we just, <laughs> do you like a beer? It's, it's eight in the morning. Scotch. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess when they did that fantasy sequence too, when um, Michael Keaton's character Jack is caught kissing in the make-believe sequence, he did not cheat on his wife in this film, but in the make-believe sequence, when Jack is caught kissing Joan and Caroline comes home and she shoots him, he stumbles back and falls in the chair. And then he grabbed that like last cup of coffee or beer or whatever it was where he took that little sip at the end. And that was all improv. And you can even see in the final cut the the actresses in the foregrounds, their shoulders are kind of shaking because they're trying hard not to laugh, but they just kept it in. Yeah, so. Didn't it, it spill everywhere? Didn't it like? No, he got shot, and he's like, ah, "I love this shirt," and then he falls back, and he yeah. chugs. I, I, I can't remember what he was drinking, but it was, it was funny. It was yeah. funny. Ah, oh, Keaton, I'll watch anything with Michael Keaton in it. Dead gummit. I'll hold you to it. That <laughs> multiplicity. That multiplicity. Multiplicity was a multiplicity. Multiplicity is great. Underrated. It's you know, so he underrated. didn't star in as many movies as I thought when I was looking at it. Took a big break for some reason. You've seen him in a whole bunch of stuff, but Batman, Multiplicity, Night Shift, the Spotlight, and then after that, it was what, like the, before movie. Birdman was kind of his comeback. He was gone for 10, 15 years, maybe. Yeah. He did some TV. He was Jack on 30 Fro- Rock. You know, yeah. Jack Frost was his last film between like that and Birdman, I think. Sorry. I, I can understand Jack Frost was not the best movie and he's probably i probably need to take a break after this <laughs> losing my touch well for if you put it for in christmas movies it's okay i watch a lot of christmas movies this year uh, low oh. bar low bar such a low bar <laughs> what's your That's favorite a- christmas movie do you think <sighs> you know, or one that you watched recently that you really enjoyed i mean i i like elf i like deck the halls is a funny movie just with danny devito and um uh, it's so it, it's they're just I mean there's a lot of them that are that are funny there's some that are so bad vacation you know vacation's probably you know right up there I mean uh, Christmas vacation is right up there it's shitters so- full <laughs> that's Wait, one of my favorite lines because this is always a debate Die Hard 
Yes, Christmas, it's a Christmas movie, movie or not Christmas movie. Christmas, anything with Christmas, anything that's set around Christmas time to me is a Christmas movie. It's, like I had a, I had an argument with Leslie because Less Than Zero is a Christmas movie. She's like, that's not a Christmas movie. I'm like, yes, it is. It takes place in the middle of Christmas. He comes home for Christmas. There's Christmas trees everywhere. They go to a Christmas party. It's Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah, I agree. Die Hard is probably my favorite Christmas movie. And then yeah. right under that is Elf. If it makes people feel better to say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, like I'm not against it being, a, yeah. I'm not saying it's not a Christmas movie. I think that is what you're saying. I think, but people, it's like, it's like, it's more that people want other people to agree for whatever reason. I, I, Die Hard I must no, be a I Christmas I have no movie. judgment attached to it. I just find it interesting. I don't think it's, like I said, I don't think it is or it isn't. I just think it's odd that people make such a... It's such a huge deal about it. It's not a Christmas movie because they never once mentioned Christmas. Just because it happens at Christmas doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie. A Christmas movie is something that is based in the Christmas spirit. Something in the narrative has like, something to do with For instance, the uh, Christmas opinion. movie that's coming out on a Hallmark called Every Time a Bell Rings, which I did the Foley for. <laughs> is the sequel called An Angel Gets Its Wings? <laughs> no, but I, it does. I argue that that is a Bell movie, which is its own subgenre. Well, no, but you see Back to the Future uh, is set in the 50s, so it's actually a 50s film. Oh. Right, it's true. We could semantics this to death. <laughs> I think Christmas movies, I, I love Die Hard. It, it actually is you know, probably up there in my top 20 movies of all time for me. But I don't consider it a Christmas movie, but I get why people do because it does have, it happens at Christmas. He uses the wrapping paper. There's Christmas trees everywhere. He has to get home for, for Christmas with his holidays to his, like, okay. it's part of the is, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles a Christmas movie? Yes. I can barely remember up. that movie. They're coming. He's coming. He's flying for Christmas. I know. What? And then we had, what was it? Oh, yes. Uh, Steve and I argued that um, he was upset, really upset that I liked Uncle Buck more than Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Like, it really, like, it hurt him at his core. <laughs> I, I like me. My friends like me. Okay. Well, that's cool. No, that's from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> oh, it's also. My dogs are barking. That's another one. Those aren't pillows. <laughs> Those aren't pillows. The only thing I remember from that. No, what about when the car catches on fire and it burns and the cops pull him over and the guy goes, "Is this roadworthy?" He goes, "Well, you know, uh, the radio still works. Sounds great." Yeah, or like when he wakes up, it's like you're going the wrong way. Oh, that's it hilarious. Like, How does he know where we're going? Oh yeah. How do you know where we're going? Thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> oh my god, you guys know every line. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. Wayne Strange and Automobiles recently yeah. is 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 really good. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. And, but, but it's yeah. not a, it's not a Christmas movie, even though he's trying to get back home for yeah. Christmas. Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Um, I, I support either side. I'm, I'm fine either way. But but yeah, I, there's other movies that are more a Christmas film. Clearly, like like exactly yeah. like Christmas films. Home Alone, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. For me, Die Hard isn't necessarily in that category, but I understand why people might. Yeah. Learning a lot today. Learning Very a lot. diplomatic. Right. I don't know. I think to be a Christmas movie <laughs> nowadays, you have to have like a ranch or that's going to go under. And then you have like a guy who's going to come in and save the day. And then they, the girl and the guy start dating and get married and then live happily ever after. No, it's, yeah, it's the girl comes back home yeah. uh, to, to visit and she runs into her ex who runs the barbershop that's failing. And, and she and opens a bakery. Yeah, and she has to open a bakery. And but somehow... when she was five, she wrote a letter to Santa that all she wants is to marry the perfect man, the man of her dreams. And then 
years later, Santa grants her wish, who also happens to be her childhood best friend. Yeah, and is somehow like super good looking, dresses amazing, and is still single. What movie is this like? Every Christmas movie that comes on the Hallmark Channel. Every single one. Yeah, it's true. Well, that's how all we all met our spouses and significant <laughs> mm-hmm. others. True. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a letter to Santa. So then, so glad I, my five-year-old me wrote that letter to Santa. <laughs> oh, magic. The magic of the season. Indeed. It's a Christmas miracle. All right. Well, then that's our show, everyone. So... <laughs> 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 Have a great night and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Well, you know, now I can edit that in at the end. I know, but I wanted to put it in there too. Sound effects courtesy of the Soundly app? Go to getsoundly.com for your complete sound effect platform. Intro and outro music for this episode is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. Hear more like this on incompetech.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us a review if you feel like it. Shoot us an email at filmfightpodcast at gmail.com if there's a matchup you'd like to see. And that's it for this week. Catch us next time for another episode of the Film Fight Podcast.